Well, in our series from Ephesians, we're really starting to get into the nitty-gritty. And Paul basically says that when a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, their character starts to change. And he encourages us to put off the old and to put on the new. It's a bit like um, changing your clothes. You've been out in the garden and you've got to go out for a dinner party. And so you take those old dirty clothes off and you put on those new clothes. And so when we become a believer in Jesus, we start a new life and our behavior starts to change. I guess most of you have heard older people talk about the good old days when things used to be so much better. Listen to these words about the good old days that were written by Plato 2,000 years ago. He says, The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They allow disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children now are tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs and tyrannize their teachers. You know, we tend to look at society today and we think that we're encountering problems that have never sort of been on the planet before. And certainly there has been a collapse in Christian morality over the last 20 or so years. And in our reading today, Paul describes the conditions, the situation in his day. And this is what he says. He says, their minds are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They don't care anymore about right or wrong. And they've given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. Now, that was written over 2,000 years ago as well, but it describes our society today, and so it is relevant to us as a church today. You know, a lot of experts claim that crime and bad behaviour are the result of external factors such as poverty, unemployment, poor education, and the influence of the media and Hollywood. But in 1992, there were riots in New York City. There was a bit of an economic meltdown and there weren't, wasn't as much money around. And so protesters went down the main street of New York and they broke into shops that were owned by Chinese business people. And they looted those shops. They were basically saying, we don't want you in, your, in, in this country. Uh, you're taking our jobs. And so they stole stuff. And then when they actually caught some of those people and analysed them, they found that they weren't poor people, uneducated people. They were actually educated key people in society. 
And so, in actual fact, people need to be converted to a responsible lifestyle, a responsible way of living. And so God has put two things into this world to keep human nature and behavior under control. The first is he's given each of us a conscience. And the second is that he's given moral laws to society. Today, people want to limit their conscience so that they can do whatever they like. And Paul says in verse 17, live no longer as the ungodly do, for they are hopelessly confused. And in verse 21, he says, we who have learned the truth that is in Jesus are to live in a way that reflects that truth. You know, it's impossible to walk in two different directions at the same time. We've got to choose what direction we are going to walk in. And Paul is saying, you've got to leave your old way of living, your past, behind. You've got to walk in a new direction. And it's a bit like when you've been working in the garden and you come inside for dinner and you wash your hands before eating dinner. God says, you've got to get rid of the dirt that's been in your old life. And so let's look a bit more closely at um, Paul's description of those people who don't know Jesus. And so this is verses 17 to 19. He says, Live no longer as the ungodly do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds <clears throat> excuse me, and hardened their hearts against God. They don't care anymore about right and wrong. They have given themselves over to immoral ways. You know, there's some people that have very sharp minds. They're highly intelligent. But those same people have decided that they're going to close their minds to the things of God. And as a result, they walk around and round in circles, not seeing where life is taking them or understanding what life is really about. They're more concerned about their own needs and feelings than the feelings of God. And so in verses 22 to 24, Paul says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then Paul goes on to outline four things that each of us need to do, each of us need to put off in order to be changed by the truth of Jesus Christ. And the first one is where to stop telling lies. Verse 25, so put away all lies and tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. Now, lying is deliberate falsehood. It's a deliberate attempt to deceive someone. It's anything that is not the whole truth, 
that can lead others to make a false conclusion. Instead, we're to become truth seekers and truth speakers. As members of this congregation, we are members of the same family. And we need to be able to trust, help, and be honest and transparent with each other. A 12-year-old boy was caught up in a custody battle between his mother and his father. And one of the lawyers questioned him and said, Your father has been telling you what to say, hasn't he? Yes, said the boy. Now, pursued the lawyer, just tell us how your father told you to testify. Well, replied the boy, father told me the lawyers would try to tangle me in my words. But if I would just be careful and tell the truth, I could tell the same thing every time. It's true, isn't it? If we tell the truth, we're not going to get caught out. If we try and make up things and bend the truth, we'll forget what we've said and we'll make a mistake and our lying will be revealed. So tell the truth because if you don't, you will be caught out at some point. And so Paul is aware of the dangers of dishonesty and offence. And he suggests that we tell the truth in love. If we can't say things with a loving motivation, it's better not to say anything at all. We all need people around us that we can trust, who can see where we're at and where we're going and can give us advice in life. People who can reflect the truth back to us rather than just tell us what we want to hear. In Proverbs 12, verse 15, it says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise person listens to advice. Do, are you teachable? Do you listen to advice? Or do you think that you know it all? Proverbs 13, verse 10, Pride breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Are you committed to truth, to the truth of who Jesus is and who you are in him? Do you practice what you preach? Do you look for the best in others and function honestly together within your home family and within our church family? The second point that Paul wanted to deal with was anger. And he told the people in verse 28, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. There's a lot of anger in society today. There's a lot of battered women and children. There's violence, road rage. The closer the relationship the greater the possibility of causing hurt and offence. The more we expose our thoughts and our feelings, the more we risk being hurt and misunderstood. People who've been hurt in the past often build walls to stop the same thing from happening again. 
When we come to Jesus Christ, it means we join his family and we become part of a church family. So what do we do when things go wrong? When we cause anger and hurt to other people? If we feel strongly about something, it is best if we do share our feelings. If we don't, then those feelings will start to simmer and smolder inside of us. An elderly man got a good medical report. And his doctor asked him how he kept in such good shape. Well, he said, when I got married 50 years ago, my wife and I made an agreement that if I lost my temper, she'd stay silent. And if she lost her temper, I would leave the house and go for a stroll. I credit my good health to the well-known advantages of walking. We can turn our anger away by giving a gentle answer. It's not necessarily wrong to get angry. We all know that Jesus got angry when he chased the muddy money lenders out of the temple. The issues that Jesus generally got angry with were injustice, where people were exploiting the poor, the weak, and the helpless. Paul tells us how to deal with our angry feelings by saying, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Now as a family growing up when we had young children, teenagers, we would try to live by that rule. If we fell out, if there was an argument, we would try to sort it out before we went to bed that night. And one night I'm in bed, it's about 10.30 and I'm trying to get to sleep and I feel a tap on my shoulder. And it was my daughter. And she said, oh dad, I thought you'd come and talk to me before you went to bed. I said, oh, what about? She said, oh, you got angry with me. And it was a little thing. I think it was a cold winter's night. We had the fire going in the lounge. And I think she left the door open. And I, and I said, oh, just close the door. You know, let's keep the, the heated area warm. And she thought I was angry with her. And she knew that our family policy was don't go to sleep at, at night unless you've sorted out that argument. And so we had a chat and I had a prayer with her. And she had a soft heart. But you see, the thing is, soft hearts can become hard hearts. If we don't do what we think is right at the right time, we become hardened. Some people enjoy holding on to grudges. It's very easy to allow that resentment to grow. And so if we do have a grudge or we're harboring unforgiveness, deal with it. Put it behind you. It will affect you emotionally. It will harden you if you don't do something about it. And as a church family, we're to commit to reconciliation. Sometimes we offend someone without even knowing we've done it. But if we're out of relationship with someone, we need to go to that person and sort out the issue. Because, you know, we want to run on all cylinders. We want to be maximizing the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. But we can block them out 
by yielding to other emotions and negative things that are going to trip us up. The third thing that Paul really focused on in this passage is don't steal, but do honest work. Verse 28, he says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. So Paul says, get a job. Earn so that you can provide for yourself and have something extra that you can give away. God helps those who engage in honest work and those who work hard for him. Trust the Lord to help you to find a job, to earn and to be generous with what he gives you. A minister in a small town was having trouble with his church collections. And one Sunday morning, he got up and he made this announcement. He said, before we pass around the offering plate this morning, I would like to request that the person who stole the chickens from Brother Harvey's hen house, please refrain from giving money to the Lord. The Lord doesn't want money from a thief. The plate was passed around. And for the first time in many months, everybody gave. Here, Paul is talking about a spirit of generosity in the church. There are some very generous people in this church. I, I had a, a random phone call from someone I didn't know who had heard about um, what's happening with CAP in this church and, and said, look, you know, Clint, I haven't even spoken to Clint about this yet, but he, he said, look, Clint is doing such a good job with CAP in helping people to sort out their finances. Um, and most of the people that he mentors and spends time with end up giving their heart to the Lord. Now, Clint works one day a week for the church. This person, who I don't know, said, I would like Clint to work two days a week, one extra day, and I'm prepared to give $10,000 for a year, oh, to cover his extra day for a year. Just like that. And there is, I mean, a lot of churches really struggle financially, but one thing I've noticed about this church is that whenever money is required for something, the money just comes. We don't have to beat you up and sort of squeeze money out of you like this guy that... Um, had his chicken stolen. <laughs> and, and I think that's the spirit of God that actually prompts people to give in certain ways at certain times. And as we obey God and we do what he's commanding us to do, he will enable those things to happen. And that's exciting as we trust him to help us in these areas. Our generosity may include sharing the gospel with others, ministering to other people using our spiritual gifts, opening up our homes for hospitality. A few years ago, a, a guy was convicted of theft in New Zealand, and he was found to have a list on him of things that his wife wanted him to get for her. 
And these included a stainless steel fridge, a toaster, microwave, four-wheel drive, and trailer. She was basically saying, if you get me these things, I'll know that you really do love me. The problem is today, every, everyone wants every labour-saving device available. And they borrow money to buy all these devices and end up working all their lives just to pay them off. There are some people that want to retire, but they can't afford to. And because they've bought all these labour-saving devices that they've got to pay for, um, they need money to keep up the payments. Don't live beyond your means. Be really careful how you spend your money. Be wise in what you do. Our work ethic reveals a great deal about our faith, and we pass that on to our children. One of our daughters, even when she was in year 12, had a, a Herald paper run, and she would get up at 6 every morning to deliver these papers around our community. And we said to her, look, you don't have to do that now. You need to focus on your studies. And she says, no, I need the extra money, and this is a special time that I have by myself first thing in the morning. And that attitude, you know, yeah, sure, I want to sleep in on a cold and frosty morning. But no, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to exercise self-discipline to do something that will help me to succeed in life. We live in a day where our personal value is often determined by what we own. And there comes a point where we're tempted to do what's wrong in order to get more things. Some people have conspicuous consumption. They want to buy the flash car or something that everyone takes notice of. But they end up having to make high payments, which mean that they don't have the money they need for other things. And even when you go to uni and you can get a student loan, some people borrow as much as possible so that they can have whatever they want. After 40 years of hard work, Bill Smith retired with a comfortable sum of $190,000 for his retirement which he had gained through diligence, initiative, and the death of an uncle who left him $189,500. Stealing is a sin against God, and it betrays our trust in him to provide for us. In 1897, Edmund Ninja was convicted of making false or fake $20 notes. He raised the money to pay the money back by selling a few paintings that he had done. The paintings were sold at auction for $5,000 each. And so instead of using fake money to steal from others, he could have been creatively painting portraits that were worth $5,000 each. And so we've got to be wise and we've got to be sensible. And so here's a guy who's an artist and he can um, counterfeit money. But if he'd put that time and effort and creativity into painting, he would have been a very wealthy man. Matthew 16, 26 to 27, it says, What good will it be 
for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul. And then the fourth thing that Paul wants us to do is to put away abusive talk. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so Paul provides three simple ways of checking our words before we say them. Are our words good? Number one. Two, are they helpful? Three, are they encouraging? If not, it's best to say nothing. How we think influences what we say. And in verse 23, Paul says, Be made new in the attitude of your minds. We're going to change the way we think. Give genuine compliments. Recognize that people are God's workmanship. Don't tolerate or justify hurtful conversation just because it may be true. Don't pass on information that will harm another person or infect the unity of the body. Gossip not only corrupts the person who brings it, it also damages those people who hear it, as well as the reputation of the person that it is about. A church community can easily become infected with gossip, falsehood, and decay. Edifying, encouraging words have a ripple effect that brings an out, a greater outpouring of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and reconciliation thereby producing unity and greater spiritual power. Those bowlers amongst us, and the youth are going 10-pin bowling next weekend, a bowling ball has a bias. As it slows down, the ball will either veer to the left or to the right. And human nature has a bias towards evil. You don't have to train a young child to say no uh, it, or, or to cry out for what they want. It just seems to come naturally. However, we can change this with the transforming power of Christ. And so I encourage everyone here this morning to give your life to Jesus Christ and allow his spirit to change your bias from evil towards good, to transform and to renew your life. When the Holy Spirit touches our lives, we're able to move beyond anger into that place of reconciliation. We're able to tell the truth, to be generous, and to speak in ways that are good, helpful, and encouraging. Let's pray. Jesus we trust in you. Cleanse us and renew us and forgive our sin. Spirit of God, help us, transform us, renew and refresh us so that we might live in the light of your love and follow your path for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.